Welcome to 90s Court. I'm not Andy Clodfelter. And I'm not Lisa Monahan. I'm John Williams. And I'm Ben Robinson. And we're from uh, Geek Exploration, the podcast, dropping by to do an episode for our good buddies at 90s Court uh, as part of the podcast Secret Santa thing. Yeah, we're taking over. Um, we have uh, we've moved them to a different location, a different show. Yeah, don't worry. They're safe. Yeah. It's it's all okay. Uh, and if you would like to hear the soothing voices of Andy and Lisa, um, you're just going to have to listen through nine other podcasts to see which one they got, because nobody knows. I hope we don't just come off extremely harsh to uh, their regular listeners. Yeah, they're going to be like, I can't sleep to these jerks. <laughs> um, so if you are a regular listener... Uh, you're just going to have to put up with us for one episode here. If this is your first time to the show. Um, Bad choice. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's going to be very different going forward for you. You're going to have to listen to another episode of 90s Court to figure out what it's normally like. Yeah, what it's actually like. <laughs> um, so on this show, 90s Court, we present to you two... Um, Court cases? Yes. Things? Related? Yeah. Semi-related Topics, uh, pieces of pop culture. Yeah, from the 90s, whether it's movies or TV or video games. Um, and then you will go and vote for it on the social medias. Uh, you can find 90s Court on Facebook and Twitter. And on Instagram, it's uh, 90s.court. And that's where you can do your voting. They'll put up polls and then they'll announce the winners to, uh, to this one next week. Yeah. Or on the next episode. Yeah, we don't want to put timelines on them. Yeah, just in case. Yeah. The holidays are weird, especially <laughs> yes, right now. Yes, they are. So how about we get into uh, to a couple of things first? Yeah, I, I think we brought some stuff from the 90s with us. Um, just to, uh, to you know make sure you know we got cred. Uh, we are both children of the 90s. Um, I think we were like, what, eight in 1990? Yeah, we've we've got just a few years on, uh, on the regular hosts, on Andy and Lisa. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we lived through it. We're veterans. <laughs> <laughs> may not have as much love for some of the stuff as they did but well you know and some of the late stuff at least you know the weird thing is like apparently there's just stuff from the 90s that i have totally missed uh from listening to 90s court like they uh they brought up stick stickly as one of their things on a previous episode and they called it out like hey if you, if you don't know who this is like what are you doing listening to this show honestly I don't know who Stick Stickly is. So what the fuck are you doing hosting this show? Then? <laughs> <laughs> oh, because yeah, that was Nickelodeon, like in the mid to late '90s, I believe. Oh, okay. So uh, I think we were s starting to age out when he came around. I remember seeing him, but I also had a younger sister. Oh who yeah, was yeah. Watching stuff after me, so yeah. My girlfriend, who's a year younger than us, does remember him. So maybe I just—I mean, I didn't have Nickelodeon when I was a kid. All my Nickelodeon was from the periphery. Oh, well, that's probably why. Yeah. Because uh, it was like a, a, you know, watch Nick after school kind of thing. Yeah. So um, what'd you bring us, John? What's what's your thing from the 90s? My thing from the 90s, I, I was searching around for something that that would be uh, exciting. You know, like I've I've listened to to their show in the past and it's, you know, a lot of times it's, or at least from from what I listened to, it was people. So I was looking for an interesting person to, oh, to oh, bring to the table. What what I settled on was someone who who was definitely active during the '80s, but he definitely went into the '90s. So I'm 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 giving myself a pass on it. You know, he's he's at least '90s adjacent. You know, at least partial '90s, '80s and a half. 
Good enough. Deal with it. This <laughs> yeah. is our show now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to 80s court. Um, 80s slash 90s court. No, um, I went with uh, with a man named John Mushita Jr. Oh, I know who that is. Yeah, and uh, he, he he's also gone by the name Motormouth and the fast-talking guy. But what we knew him as when we were kids was the Micro Machines Man. Oh, yeah. Uh, John Mushita Jr. was... was at one point, the uh, Guinness Book of World Records holder for the uh, the fastest talking man. Did someone beat him? Oh, yeah. he's He's been beaten, and the person who beat him has also been beaten. Um, let's see. When he had the, the Guinness uh, World Record, he was able to articulate 586 words per minute. Holy shit. That's a lot of words. That's, that's almost, almost 10, 10 per second. Yes. That's bonkers. Um, his, uh, his world record was broken in 1990 by, uh, Steve Woodmore, who spoke 637 words per minute. And then, uh, I guess, uh, somebody named Sean Shannon broke it in 95, who could speak 655 words per minute. Holy fuck. Yeah. But, uh. I can uh, barely talk coherently at this speed. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> it's taken a lot of work. It's taken two years of podcasting for us to even be able to speak, uh, at this level. Oh, um, man, we had boring early episodes, but yeah, he, uh, through, uh, throughout, I think it started in 87 and well into the nineties. Um, the, the dates are not easy to find. Um, he did over 100 commercials for the, uh, the toy property micro machines. Holy shit. Really? Yeah. Over 100. Only took him a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He recorded <laughs> them up front. Um, and micro machines were great when we were kids, you know, like I was never a big, like hot wheels or matchbox, uh, car fan. There just wasn't much to do with them. And I never had those tracks, but micro machines were fun. They were teeny tiny. I, I still remember I got the, uh, the aircraft carrier, which he did the commercial for. Yeah. Should we play them an example of his totally of his, uh, commercial? Uh, I'll pull one up here. The Micro Machine Man here, aircraft carrier there. You can't have that, but you can have this. The new Micro Machine aircraft carrier playset. The dramatically detailed, terrifically trimmed replica of the real thing that holds 25 Micro Machines with fabulous, fantastic features. Two totally terrific elevators, real working hoist, one way, and two cargo arms. The new Micro Machine <laughs> aircraft carrier playset from Galoob. Remember, if it doesn't say Micro Machines, it's not the real thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. If it doesn't say <laughs> it's Micro Machines, it's not the real thing. Um, he also voiced uh, Blur in Transformers the movie, and then later on totally. did it again in another, um, another uh, animated series. I think it was just called Transformers Animated. Um, he was also the radio host in the movie Dick Tracy. Did his head explode in a movie? <laughs> I have a vague memory of him like talking really fast and then his head exploding, but I'm not sure if that's real. I don't know. Looking at his filmography, I can't imagine what movie that yeah. would have been in. Yeah, I looked at his filmography also because he was on my short list of things to do for this segment. So I'm glad I didn't pick <laughs> it. <laughs> um, he also played uh, Mr. Crud in uh, Blank Man. And let's see, there's there's a bunch of stuff that he's done that I just don't know. But the one that I that I remember most when I was a kid, and this came in, oh shit, 1989, so maybe I shouldn't talk about it. No, I'm gonna. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> he was, uh, he played George Testaverde in Saved by the Bell. He what, was really? A, yeah, he was a teacher just for one episode. And, uh, and I think maybe he was a substitute teacher, but he came in and he was giving them a test, and it was like a spoken test test 
And sure enough, you know, of, of course he's going to do what he does. So he, he's like, you know, he's a normal guy. Like, hey, let's, let's take this test. And as soon as he starts the, starts the clock, he just goes into turbo speed. And they, I think they like cranked the cameras up, you know, like ran the cameras in, in hyperspeed <laughs> and played some music while everyone's trying to like keep up to, uh, to his, uh, his test giving, writing yeah. down the answers. Um, so he, he to me is very 90s. Oh yeah, I, I loved micro machines. I got that aircraft carrier, and I remember being super stoked about it, and then really disappointed that it didn't float. Because of course it didn't float. It had like doors on the lower level, like it wasn't watertight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So John Mashita Jr., uh, I salute you. Is he still alive? Yeah, I believe so. I, I didn't see anything about any sort of date of death. Yeah. We should see if he's on Twitter. Get him to cut a really quick promo for the show. <laughs> <laughs> he's not doing anything, right? Yeah. No, probably not. What about you, Ben? What'd you bring? So um, I brought some music. Oh, and um, and and an odd fad that accompanied it. Uh, here, I'll play you a little clip. Oh my goodness! I just got something in my head, and I hope to God it is what I'm thinking of, but maybe not. It might be too obscure. Gird yourself for disappointment. Oh. Do you remember this, John? Yes, I do. <laughs> so, for anyone uninitiated, this is uh, the uh, phenomenal hip-hop group uh, Criss Cross, who in 1992 came out with their single, Jump. Uh, these were two kids, essentially. I remember this when I was a kid because they were like two years older than us. Yeah. And that song was number one on the Billboard charts for eight weeks. I'm not shocked. That song was everywhere from roller rinks to uh, to school to radio. to I mean, it was everywhere. And you know what? That was exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why when you said music. I, and wait, did you also say something about fashion? No, I just said an odd trend. Oh, yes. I mean, that 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 popped right in my head. Fucking crisscross. Yeah, and so that odd trend I'm talking of, if you're not aware of it, is uh, wearing your fucking clothes backwards. Yeah. Uh, I guess they were they were originally discovered by um, by Jermaine Dupree in Atlanta. Oh, the name sounds familiar. Who is that? He's a producer. He's produced a ton of different people. Oh, okay. He's just a, a, a big hip hop producer from the early 90s. I guess they'd been like a hip hop duo since third grade. Like you do. And he uh, he saw him in a mall and like, you know, was like, all right, let's cut a demo. And he's like, hey, you know what, you guys, how about you wear your clothes backwards? Let's see how people react. And uh, they reacted positively, I guess. <laughs> Momentarily positively. I remember in fourth grade wearing my pants backwards to school. No shit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, this is going to be so cool. Uh, it was not as cool as I thought it was going to be. People did not tell me how cool I was, uh, a little bit of the opposite. And, uh, gotta tell you, putting your jeans on backwards, not super easy. Yeah. Going to, going to the bathroom, I imagine is also not super easy. Yeah. Like the buttons in the back. Yeah. And they're also not meant to sit on you like that. No, they are not. They do not fit well. Criss Cross wore very baggy jeans because it was, that was what was popular in the day. I did not have super baggy jeans. So I just had regular old jeans on backwards. Uh, I look like a doofus most of the time, so I don't know if anyone really even thought thought too differently of it. I know. I was thinking, like, I could see you doing that in high school 
But by that point, it was like, a, oh, that's just Ben. You know, like, of course he's doing something ridiculous like that. He's wearing his plaid or striped pants backwards. At least I had the ladies' silk bathrobe to uh, <laughs> to really make the outfit pop. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> remember ever seeing anybody actually wearing their clothes backwards. Uh, I didn't know you at that point. But, boy, I have a feeling, wow, it's hard to think. Like, would I think they're cool or would I... Make fun. I don't think I would have fun, made fun of them back Did you then. think Criss Cross was cool when they were contemporary? I don't think so. <laughs> as, as with most things in, in like 90s pop music growing up, like, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's one, it's one of those like cliches at this point. Like, oh, I was born in the wrong decade. But I, I never liked 90s music. Would it change your opinion if you knew that they opened for Michael Jackson on his Dangerous World Tour? It doesn't change my opinion on how cool they are, but respect. Yeah, right? At like 13. Can you fucking imagine that? Being 13 years old and like coming out with an album, wearing your pants backwards, and Michael Jackson's like, hey, you want to come on tour with me? Well, actually, that sounds a lot creepier now that I think <laughs> I about it. <laughs> well, I, I was just sitting here waiting for you to say once again, like being 13 and opening for Michael Jackson. I'm like, oh, no, don't oh, say those no. words. That's I didn't even think about that until right now. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, don't worry. We won't get into that. They had another album that went platinum and one that went gold. No like, shit. Yeah. They they had a lot of success. They were huge. They did the Rugrats rap for Rugrats on Nickelodeon. I don't know if you remember that. No, nope. it's not very good. I re-listened to it today. It is, uh, it's subpar. <laughs> yeah. Wow. They, yeah, they were also part of that weird trend in the early '90s before, like, rap got took over by like Dr. Dre and uh, Tupac and and Biggie. You know, the gangster rap movement, uh, where there was just a shit ton of kids in hip hop. Yeah, there's them, and I guess they had beef with ABC. Oh shit. <laughs> we uh, had a little. Uh, East Coast, West Coast beef in the uh, pre-teen rap <laughs> market. At least nobody was getting <laughs> shot. No, nope. Just, uh, I, and the reason they said they didn't like ABC is because they, they jacked their backwards style, which I don't remember them ever wearing anything backwards, but. I don't remember other ABC. Other than maybe hats. Oh, really? You don't remember, an, uh, uh, was it another bad, not company. Choice. Yeah, let's name our band. Another bad choice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Criss Cross, wow. Mac Daddy and Daddy Mac. I remember being being just sort of like like tickled by that by that that uh, those lines. You know, just like it was bizarre that it was like the Mac Dad will make you. They're like the Daddy Mac will make it. But you know, now that I think about it, they're crisscrossing the lyrics. Well, and that was the names they went by. It was uh, it was Chris Kelly who was Mac Daddy. And it was Chris Smith who was Daddy Mac. That makes... So they were just talking about themselves, like as you do in the rap music. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I got learned. <laughs> That's what we're all here for, right? <laughs> I guess one final note. In 2013, they were going to do a comeback tour. No shit. I, th I think I... I feel like I heard kind of recently that one of them died. Yes. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Mac Daddy died. Uh, drug overdose shit um like right as they were about to start doing their comeback like they did they did one show where they got back together and then they were going to do like a tour and uh he he done did too many drugs fucking drugs man i mean you're a 13 year old kid you know touring with michael jackson and you know got fucking platinum hip-hop albums 
you're gonna get a drug habit. Yeah. Yeah, you're in trouble. It's like being a child star, man. Fucking shit's gonna come to you too easy. Yeah. They probably went and hung out with Feldman because he was probably at one of the Michael Jackson shows. And next thing you know. One cocaine orgy later. (laughs) Oh, boy. boy. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, uh, what do you say? Let's go take a quick little commercial break and then uh, come back and present our court cases. Heck yeah. Let's do it. Welcome to Geek Exploration, the podcast. I'm John Williams. And I'm Ben Robinson. Do you like time travel? Movies? Video games? Comics? Sci-fi? Cartoons? Or how about action figures? Well, so do we. Every episode, we pick a topic from the geekosphere and have a little chat about it. So if you've been waiting for a groundbreaking podcast that does all of this and more, you might have what it takes to be a Geek Explorer. Come join us every other Tuesday for a fresh installment of Geek Exploration, the podcast. You can find us at geeksplorationpodcast.com or any reputable podcatcher likely a few unreputable ones and we're back yeah so uh i guess we should go ahead and uh reveal the poll results from the last episode's uh poll which was 90 sitcoms uh dinosaurs versus home improvement yeah yeah they gave us the keys to the castle so we have all of the results as well <laughs> <laughs> the fools <laughs> it was 100 percent dinosaurs <laughs> across the board yeah i voted dinosaurs so dinosaurs won <laughs> suck it uh so what do we got ben did you don't vote dinosaurs i did not did you vote at home improvement or you just didn't vote i did not vote which one would you have voted for john home improvement yeah yeah, I I think I like the creativity of uh, of dinosaurs and the suits and stuff better, but that fucking baby Sinclair just yeah, yeah. drove me up the wall. I hate that thing so much. No no amount of bad child acting or ha 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 ha, ha could <laughs> could you know annoy me as much as baby Sinclair. Yeah, Home Improvement definitely had better writing. Yeah, um, and honestly, it was probably the better show, but. Uh, I can't vote against Jim Henson. Just can't bring <laughs> myself to do it. All right. So uh, the poll results uh, on Facebook, it was 64.5 to 35.5% in favor of home improvement. I'm not shocked. Twitter, where the smart people go, <laughs> was 51% to 49%. For dinosaurs. Shit, so a that's bit, close. A little bit of a tighter race there. Yeah. Uh, Instagram, 50-50 split. Dead no shit. fucking even. Wow. Yeah. So uh, since there isn't a, you know, like a, a, a you know, t- there isn't a winner between the three of them combined, um, if you total up all of the numbers, it was uh, 55% for the win to home improvement. Yep. As it should be. I imagine at least half the people voting for dinosaurs were just just re- remembered dinosaurs from from looking cool or something. Like, do people really hate Home Improvement? Like, do, do people actually think that dinosaurs is better than Home Improvement? I think there's a lot of people that don't really like Tim Allen. Oh, there is that. Yeah. And he's the star of the show. So, I mean, I would imagine that there's some people that are like, oh, fucking, I'm done with Tim Allen and and would rather vote for animatronic dinosaurs. Or not, not quite animatronic. Well, facially animatronic. Yeah, yeah. Well, depending on the dinosaur, like the grandma, I'm pretty sure was like fully animatronic. Oh yeah, because she just sits there. And the baby as well. I don't think they put a baby in that costume. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I imagine it's it's like puppeteer. Puppete- well, yeah, it's it's Henson. So yeah. Um. 
Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I got a feeling a lot more people have seen Home Improvement than have seen Dinosaurs. I think it spent a lot more time in syndication than Dinosaurs did. Yeah. And on the air altogether on its first run. Like yeah. dinosaurs ran like for like three four, years, I think. Yeah, three or four years. Yeah, like I four think, and home improvement was like seven or eight. Yeah. We got to watch those kids grow up. Oh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Swoon. I was so happy that uh that that Lisa and Andy brought up the episode where Mark went goth. That that one always <laughs> sticks out to me. That that was such a hilarious episode. Um, but I guess it's time to uh to get into our cases. Hey John. Something just came across my desk. Ba-da, ba-da, ba-da. Yeah, so we've got a uh, we got a court case here to try, and I and uh, I think it's going to be pretty lopsided myself. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are doing uh, a couple Kevin Costner flicks. Yeah, Costner v. Costner. It's a Costner off. Yeah, well, th- that was a movie, right? Costner v. Costner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Composed by uh, by the Russian uh, composer <laughs> Kostnerov. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kevin Costner was a fixture of the '90s. I would say he was the '90s, like him and Mel. Yeah, like they ruled the '90s. Absolutely. Like I guarantee you, if you grew up in the '90s like we did, Kevin Costner was on your mom's like short list for the you know infidelity exceptions. Oh, my mom loved Kevin yeah. Costner. Holy shit! All of your moms. Would have fucked Kevin Costner <laughs> without a second thought. And uh, so we figured, you know, if he was good enough for your mom, he's good enough for us. <laughs> Solid argument. <laughs> They're both winners. And so uh, we are pitting uh, Waterworld against Dances with Wolves. Yeah. And uh, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, so Waterworld is a movie from 1995 directed by Kevin Reynolds, who was reteaming with uh, with Kevin Costner after they did uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves together. That's a good flick. Yeah, and and when you when you find that out, you see some of the similarities in the way certain like action uh, segments are shot. I, I was it was it was an interesting little uh, little link. Lots when, of swinging from things. <laughs> yeah, they both like to do that. They were reteaming after after having kind of a falling out with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Like I guess they were they were buddies before that, but um, they they had a bit of a clash in this one that did not stop with uh, with Waterworld with uh, Kevin Reynolds reportedly walking off the picture, saying that Kevin Costner should just direct all the movies himself because then he could work with his favorite actor and his favorite director. <laughs> I, I love that line so much. Um, you know, and he, he may have actually finished the picture and then just said he'd never, uh, he'd never work with him again. So yeah, stars Kevin Costner, uh, Gene Triplehorn, who is looking fantastic in this movie. Like the makeup artist did a great job making her simultaneously look like parched and dehydrated and, and like dried out, but still gorgeous. You know, she's not like made up or anything, you know, but whoo. Well, yeah, you, you couldn't go walking through this. In like a nice evening gown and some good makeup and great hair. Yeah. Just wouldn't fit. Yeah, no, but she she is she's a pretty and talented. Um, it also has a young Tina Majorino who was also, uh, you know, like she was in a few flicks back in the 90s. There was Karina Karina with uh, Ray Liotta and uh, Whoopi Goldberg. I loved that movie as a kid. And um, a lot of people know her from later on when she was in Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, yeah, she was the girl in Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, yeah whose that- name I can't remember. 
I don't remember it either, but yeah. I wanted to call her Tina, but then I was like, no, that's the llama. (laughs) Get your food, Tina, you fat lard. (laughs) It has Michael Jeter playing uh, Gregor, who I I know him from Evening Shade, of all things. Like, there's a little 90s... uh, Nugget? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, with Burt Reynolds. But yeah, he was this little little nerdy, mustachioed dude. Um, Was that the guy with, like, the long, flowing blonde hair in the movie? No, no. He's the uh, the old scientist guy. Oh, okay. That, yeah, that yeah, has yeah, the little yeah. flying contraption. He fucks things up. Um, it also stars a young Jack Black as a pilot in there in a little little uh, little teeny part. And the legendary Dennis Hopper as the deacon. And this was actually my first exposure to Dennis Hopper. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was a kid. I definitely hadn't seen Easy Rider. Yeah, or... True romance, probably not at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Those aren't really kids flicks. Nope. Especially when you grow up in a uh, religious household. Um, the music was by James Newton Howard and it's, it's a bit more adventurous than I would like, you know, like I, I, I guess they, they had a different composer on early and his score was rejected for being, I mean, I hate to quote this, but too ethnic. And uh oh, and, the nineties. Yeah. And they said it was it was really dark, but I really wish I could hear what it was because I I would I would love to hear something a little less like pirate swashbuckling adventure. You know, it was kind of light for the for this flick. And uh I guess I can't pass up saying the production designer was Dennis Gassner because boy did he have a a humongous task ahead of him and a lot of money was thrown into this and he made it happen. Uh, you know, it was at the time it was the most expensive movie ever made. Holy, well, how much, how much did it cost to make? Um, it ended up ballooning to 235 million, I believe, which nowadays is just like, it's a Marvel movie. Yeah. This is uh end game. This movie is not. <laughs> no. So the opening to this movie, the opening narration says it all. The narrator says the future, the polar ice caps have melted, covering the earth with water. Those who survived have adapted to a new world. And that's as it's uh, pushing in on the Earth from the Universal logo, which as it's saying that, you know, like the, the oh, yeah. continents start to as disappear. It starts to flood. Yeah. And uh, so when they're talking about adapting to a new world, it goes right into Kevin Costner taking a piss into a, into a cup, which yeah, he then man. pours into a contraption that filters it down into another cup that he drinks. So... Adaptation. Yeah, take that, Bear Grylls. <laughs> so this flick is very much uh, kind of a... Wet Max. Yes. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's what they were looking to do early on. They, they wanted to do Mad Max on the water. It's a dystopian future where, like the narration says, polar ice caps have melted, the world is covered in water, dry land is a myth, and you have this uh, this main character played by Kevin Costner who they, they don't... He doesn't actually have a name, but uh, most often they refer to him as the Mariner. Sometimes also as the Muto, because he has gills behind his ears and webbed feet. He uh, he has evolved. Of all the places for you to evolve gills, behind the ears doesn't seem the most sensible. It's got it's a, quite a quite a road to get to your lungs from there. Yeah, to get into your bloodstream. So the Mariner has this badass boat with uh, all sorts of contraptions and fancy sails and harpoon guns. And, you know, he is a survivor. Um, he goes on on deep sea dives uh, where he just swims down to the to the bottom and grabs up uh, valuables to trade because it's definitely like a barter system in this world. Yeah, you got to get your chits. Yeah. And he gets dirt, which 
it's it's super rare. So, I mean, what the use for the dirt yeah, is, I'm not sure. Rubbing on their faces, I think. Because <laughs> everyone was very dirty for a society that lives on water. Yeah. <laughs> sunscreen? I guess it'd probably be a fairly effective sunscreen. No shit. The sun would be an oppressive fucking monster if you lived on the ocean all the time yeah if if mud can protect you from the predator then it, it stands to reason that uh that you could uh you can try to protect yourself from the sun yeah, the too. predator the sun they're nearly the same character <laughs> yeah they're both out to kill you if you're not careful or resourceful so in his adventures he runs across a woman and a young child who are living at what's called the atoll which is a humongous like quarter mile long uh set they had to build in the ocean, and it cost about $22 million to build. It actually floated, too, right? Yeah. It was like an actual floating thing. It was a practical set. That's fucking nuts. And I'm pretty sure, at least at the time, that was like the largest... No, it couldn't have been the largest set altogether, but maybe the largest... Floating well, definitely one. On the, yeah, definitely For the sure. largest on the water set. So he's in there trading, and he, he runs across this woman and this child who... Um, the legend says this tattoo on the child's back is a map to dry land. Then you have the asshole characters led by Dennis Hopper's Deacon uh, called the Smokers, who are even dirtier. And everything they do pollutes stuff. Well, and they, they smoke a lot, too. Like, yeah. they legitimately do smoke a lot. Yeah, they smoke a lot of cigarettes. And they, uh, their, their base is on the Exxon Valdez. But, uh, Probably not a great place to smoke. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that caught my eye a couple times, but, you know, like when when somebody like had to like catch somebody from flicking a cigarette down in one of those tubes. I'm like, wow, how often does that happen? Like all it takes is one one, one shithead to, to, to do fuck that. it all up. So they come and they blow up the atoll. They're looking for the girl. Everyone wants to find dry land because the smokers are running out of crude oil. As as the woman Helen says uh, at some point, like. These people aren't aren't built to be living on on the sea. Like that's why they believe in dry land because they're they're not built to to live in water. So through a series of really action packed, like explosive, like I, I mean, this movie's got spectacle out the ass. Oh yeah, it's like it's stunts, stunts, and more stunts. There's jet skis jumping. There's boats exploding. Yeah, yeah, and I mean some early kind of cringy CGI. But and Kevin Costner is a total son of a bitch to these to these oh, ladies. Oh yeah, he's that, that, an asshole. <laughs> yeah, like the little girl uh, Enola, which is alone backwards. Oh. Ah. Um, he, she's she's got a smart mouth on her, but he, you know, he's a he's a grizzled old loner who's who's just he just lives on the ocean by himself. So he's not going to put up with that from a little girl. So he just hucks her into the ocean at one point. He's probably killed a dozen men. <laughs> yeah. Like he, does, he, he has not kept his hands clean <laughs> and gotten this far. No way. Yeah. And to a certain extent, I don't blame him for being pissed off because those ladies show up and man, they they like actively start fucking his system up like i'm not saying huck children into the ocean but boy like that they, they could be a little more considerate of this guy's uh boat i mean yeah he is rescuing them after all yeah i mean i guess it was kind of mutual getting out of the atoll together but they have a few in or several encounters with the smokers and eventually uh dennis hopper kidnaps the little girl uh, takes her back to the Exxon Valdez, and Kevin Costner, or I guess the Mariner, who has had a, a sweet change of heart, goes and rescues her and blows that shit up. Yeah. Boy, he just drops a flare right down that tube and uh, doesn't give a shit. They also have, 
it's the the first appearance in my life at least of a Hollywood staple which is canned meat that is not called spam uh, it's called smeat smeat oh i uh. love it and I, I i wanted to name a band smeat when i when we were yeah. uh, when we were in our teen years that's not a bad name smeat and the bacon bits <laughs> um so eventually they uh they get away from from Dennis Hopper. I mean, he gets killed in one of the most 90s ways I can think of where there's uh there's Dennis Hopper on a on a boat or a jet ski and there's two other people on jet skis all converging on on Enola who's who's treading water in the ocean. And what does Kevin Costner do from the flying vehicle? It's, it's he's got like a in? blimp or some shit, isn't it? Well, it's it's like a yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's got kind of like a little basket chair system Some that sort people of can sit in dirigible yes um so kevin costner boy he goes all 90s and just straight up bungee jumps right off of that shit and grabs her out of the ocean where everyone converges and blows up i mean like that i can't think of a more like 90s way to end that conflict than that bungee jumping and people into exploding, exploding yeah. jet skis yeah yeah that is that's pretty quintessential there yeah after that, they they go and they figure out that the tattoo on her back is coordinates to dry land. What reference do they have for coordinates, though? Um, well, there there are some little lines from Gregor, the scientist, who who's talking like he it's it's almost like he's figuring out that they are some sort of latitude and longitude. But again. Yeah, what what would he reference? I don't know. Because this is supposed to be like five hundred years in the future, right? I mean, that's what a, that's what the production di- designer said, but there's nothing in the movie that says that, and I don't think the people making the film, besides the production designer, actually believe that. Yeah, because I was thinking like thirty years. Yeah, because that like they still have boats and like books, cigarettes. Yeah, like. They wouldn't have that after 500 years. No, no freaking way. We wouldn't make it that long either. We <laughs> no, would definitely go not. extinct way <laughs> fucking before that. Yeah, especially with giant CGI beasts uh, in the ocean yeah, that they only show those. very briefly for like a second as it chomps on, on Kevin Costner. And then there's an explosion and then they've got meat to eat on his boat. But the uh, the coordinates on her back are actually, um, I, I can't remember if they were Chinese or Japanese number symbols. But the uh, latitude and longitude points to Mount Everest. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. That should still be poking out of the ocean somewhere unless the... I don't think we have that much water on Earth. No, I, I read somewhere that, that it, would, it would apparently only rise like a couple hundred feet if the, yeah. polar, if the polar ice caps melted. Yeah, we'd um, still have lots of land left. But I thought that was, that was cool that they actually cared to make that detail, that it was Everest, but it had become like a tropical paradise. Because um, this was all filmed in Hawaii. Yeah, that's... Close to Everest. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> Personally, I fucking love this movie. Like, I was so stoked. I watched the trailer with my kid, and I was like, oh, I'm so glad that I get to watch this movie as homework. I'm one of two people in the world that I know that unabashedly love this flick. I, I remember enjoying it a lot when I was younger. I, I did not get a chance to go back and watch it as I was busy watching many hours of my own movie. <laughs> yeah. But, uh. But I remember enjoying it and like I remember watching the show at Universal Studios and thinking it was fucking awesome. So, yeah. but it was pretty universally panned. Like it is not thought of as a good movie. Yeah, no. <laughs> and um I mean just a quick bit of trivia. The character of, of the deacon who I can't 
imagine anybody but Dennis Hopper playing. Like perfect role for him. He's so eccentric and so entertaining. Like I mean, there my favorite line in the movie. I can't repeat these days because it's politically incorrect. But you know, just just listen to what he yells at Kevin Costner when Kevin Costner's on the uh, on the bridge of the of the boat. Um, <laughs> but apparently, that role was turned down by none other than. Sam Jackson, who went on, who uh, chose to be in Die Hard with Vengeance instead, um, as well as Gene Hackman, James Caan, and Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman would have done a good job. Yeah. Gary Oldman does a good job on everything, though. Yeah, Hackman and James Caan would have taken it too seriously. They would have been more stoic. I mean, like, there's a real sense of humor to uh, to the Deacon, but not in a in a like I'm cracking jokes, like not in a Lex Luthor way. Yeah, the Deacon in the movie, like. He's got like this little uh, this little thing where he gives two people the choice to give him information and the one who does it survives. And like, you know, of course, they're both going to die. But in one of them, you know, the, this this guy's just like, wait, but you said I got to live. And he's like, oh, did I say that? And he's like, yeah. And he looks at his guys are like, yeah, you said that. He's like, oh, OK, I forgot or something like that and just like walks away. And you're like, OK, that, that's the type of person. We're dealing. <laughs> like he's not he's not sadistic. Oh, he's yeah, he's flippant as fuck, though. That guy doesn't give any fucks. Yeah. I like the scene with his eyeball where he's like, how's it look? And they're like, yeah, it's, it's fine. Yeah. And then he, he asks the kid and he's like, it looks like shit. And he's like, oh, see, that's why I love kids. No guile. And then he looks in the mirror and says, it does look like shit. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot yeah. to, to make a note of that. And then uh, another thing is uh, Kevin Costner is a dedicated motherfucker because he actually, uh, or reportedly, sunk 22 million dollars of his own money into making this movie i mean he was super involved from the beginning with like i mean i guess because of him and studio um demands or i don't know uh not interference but just like you know preference maybe from them but they fear for losing a lot of money well apparently there were there were 36 different drafts of the script written oh boy yeah that, that's how long it took them to put this together. And this is the one they landed on, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> and apparently he was on set six days a week and a total of 157 days. Like he was on involved. the water. Yeah. yeah. Doing anything on water is expensive and dangerous. Yeah. Apparently they talked to Spielberg ahead of time uh, about, you know, try to get advice for shooting on the water. And his, his, his advice was don't shoot on the water, on the open water, at least like go to a tank. Because of his experience with Jaws. Even a tank, not necessarily. Like, the Abyss was supposedly a freaking nightmare, and they shot that in a big tank. But it was supposedly, that was, like, one of the most awful, grueling filming experiences you could imagine. Well, and James Cameron and his insistence on reinventing film every time he does something. So, I mean, if they were just shooting on top of the tank, I think that would be, that wouldn't have been (laughs) so bad. And I guess uh, just one more little, little bit of trivia is, well, at one scene... Uh, the Mariner takes Gene Triplehorn's character like diving, basically, like he's got like a like a glass bubble that somehow doesn't break from from depth pressure, but whatever. So, but it, but you know it keeps air in there because it it stays upright, and um and he takes her down to a sunken city, which is actually uh, apparently uh, Denver, Colorado. Oh, and like I was I was watching, I was just like I didn't remember as much as much city stuff as there was, but apparently there's a um, shit I can't remember the name of the building, big famous building that looks like a cash register in Denver, and it also made sense because I thought at one point I saw like a mountain with like ski lifts. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, now the the diving bell like that wouldn't break, like because it doesn't. It's not 
enclosed, you know, so the pressure on it's kind of equalizing. Oh. Well, what would happen is the air she's breathing would shrink down to be really, really small. Oh. So that, cause air can be compressed. So as the pressure builds, the amount of air left, it, it would be the same amount of air. It would just be more compressed. So it'd just be like a little bubble at the very top. When oh, you got deep. weird. And you'd, it would suck to try and breathe that. She'd probably also freeze to death. Yes. It's yeah. Yeah. Movie. This movie is not about realism <laughs> but you know when when you when you talk about you know this is the script they ended up with apparently it was originally a three-hour movie which explained a lot more about like how humans came to uh to survive in this it talked more about um the smokers and how they could refine crude oil into something usable for yeah. for cars and planes an hour more of exposition then uh, I guess that's my case. Well, you know what? Sorry. One more thing. Yeah, make the case. Why should people vote for this, John? People should vote for this because it's fucking awesome. It is full of uh, it is full of swashbuckling whimsy and adventure and a a butt that is not actually Jean Triplehorns, but somebody that she selected personally to look like her butt because she didn't want to she didn't want to take her clothes off. So, like, they had, like, a bunch of butt models come into a room, and she was like, hmm. Yeah, apparently. That one. Apparently it was a very strange experience for them that they all super, like, they couldn't stop laughing while they were doing it. Because, yeah, she had three three people, three finalists that she had to choose the butt of. Because she didn't want to she didn't want to go nude in this. Even though she's been nude in other films before and after. But not for Waterworld. Not for John Williams. <laughs> but um it did spawn uh a a stunt show be, because yeah. of course it would um it was a it's still running to this day as far as i know at universal studios which is nuts that's like 25 years yeah that's i mean it's got to be one of the longest running if not the longest running at this point for a movie that most people don't like yeah but i've seen it it's awesome yeah, yeah, it it is it's it is a spectacle for it's, sure. I mean, it's like what you get in the movie. There's people jumping jet skis and explosions and swinging around on ropes. Mm-hmm. And a plane. Is there a plane? I don't know. Yeah, they launch they launch a they launch a plane off of it into the into the water. That's awesome. <laughs> With explosions, but it also spawned a couple of video games. One that I played today on your Oculus oh, Quest yeah. um, for Virtual Boy. Which holy shit, Virtual Boy! I think yeah, they've they've talked about Virtual Boy in the past as one of their yeah, things. Yeah, there's a '90s thing for yeah. you, and also one for Super Nintendo, which I have never played, but I randomly discovered uh, the the map theme for that, and I'm just gonna play a quick little clip to close it out because it needs to put you in in the the right Zen state to love this property. Sounds like some high taste action. Oh, dude. <laughs> you know, the thing is, like, I'm I'm wondering how close that is to the original uh, soundtrack or something. Because, like, I think about, like, if that was if that was playing with the opening narration, you know, like, like the polarized caps have melted or something. Like, man, that would put me in such a zone. Like, that's... That would be the right zone. Like, that's, oh. that'd be the sexiest world catastrophe ever. <laughs> <laughs> The polar ice caps have melted, and man is on the brink of destruction. Oh, 
Ooh, I love that tune uh, so much, and you should too. And if you don't love this movie, go back and watch it again, and you can figure out exactly why you were incorrect in your current opinion. <laughs> love it. All right. Aside from being both being Kevin Costner movies, uh, there's a lot of parallels here between these two movies. Um, cause I got dances with wolves. Oh, I thought you were going to say the postman with that lead up. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the biggest difference in parallels is that this movie is good. Barf. Nay, I say great. Um, I, I went and rewatched yesterday. It's, uh, thoroughly enjoyable. Um, it's a 1990 movie. It was based on a book by Michael Blake that was based on a screenplay by Michael Blake that Kevin Costner wrote and said, you should write a book because it'll be easier to get published. And then as soon as it was published, he bought the screenplay rights and had Michael Blake write another screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> so just like Waterworld, this was a passion project of um, Mr. Costner. And uh, it was, uh, it, th this movie is everything Avatar wanted to be. Like Avatar wanted to be Dances with Wolves in space. And um, it, it, it wasn't. <laughs> uh it had a budget of 15 million dollars is what the studio gave it but it ended up costing 22 the balance of which was fronted by kevin costner hey look at that yeah so he's he's got a pension for throwing money at movies that he thinks will make it well at least he he made the right choice in one of those cases yeah that that tw the the what was it the $7 million that he put into it ended up eventually, I guess, netting him somewhere around $400 million. Oh, so it probably just like cut him in on a percentage of the profits yeah. in perpetuity. Yeah. He would basically became a producer. Shit. Yeah. So, so it was a good move. Yeah. You know, the whole thing, it was a good move all around. Uh, th this movie, how, how many Oscars did you say Waterworld won? Uh, I didn't get the exact number, probably like <laughs> 10, 11, <laughs> yeah, well, 12. Yeah, Dances with Wolves won a uh, a whopping seven, including Best Picture. Didn't win Best Actor though, did it? I don't know. I I will. the The day Kevin Costner wins a Best Actor Oscar is the day I'll eat my hat. <laughs> Sorry. Well, to to that, like his he does a bunch of narration on it where it's like reading what he wrote in his journal. Uh -huh. Not the greatest line reads. Yeah, it sounds pretty amateur, which is is surprising. Um. I, th I think his acting in general, like his physical acting and his, you know, his anything that's not line delivery was actually really good yeah. in this flick. So the basic plot of the movie, uh, in case you haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while, it starts basically with him lying on a slab. The main character, uh, John Dunbar, he's in a he's in the Civil War. He has been shot in the leg, presuming they're about to cut his leg off. And the doctor's like, fuck it. I'm too tired. I'll come back to this later and like walks away. And he gets up and he's like sees the legs on the ground and dudes without legs in a boot and like puts it on and says, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. And he like stumbles over and, uh, and then decides, I don't know. He's kind of loopy. It looks like he's going to commit suicide. He hops on a horse and just like charges the Confederacy lines. And he's like riding back and forth with his arms out, waiting for him to shoot him. And he doesn't get shot. Oh man. Death by police sort yeah. of thing. Right. Yeah. But it does give the, you know, his general time to like fucking, flank the flank them because they're all looking at him and shooting at him so they come around from the side and, and chase him off and they give him a commendation and he gets to pick his post of choice and so he picks the frontier because he wants to he wants to go see the frontier before it's gone as he says you know uh, which which is cool because i imagine that's like nothing anybody's ever seen or like you know that's like the the thing of dreams it's like that's the frontier it's yeah. something amazing and new um real quick 
that that more than anything that opening scene is what stands out to me from dances with wolves seeing the the limbs getting hacked off like that destroyed me as a kid like that shit's graphic uh or at least or my memory is built it into being graphic no and it's not that's not too bad like they don't actually cut anyone's legs off like they're only about to really i could have sworn there was at least one or two or that they actually did hack maybe in a in the director's cut so oh shit the base of this movie is three hours just over three hours long and there's a four hour director's cut and the initial first cut that they did on it was five and a half hours and the studio was like fuck no cut that down Glory's definitely got a gory ass fucking leg cutting scene. Oh, that very well could be because my dad loved that movie too. That's a good movie. That was the one rated R movie we had in our house. Yeah, that's a bitchin' movie. So uh, anyway, he heads out to the Dakota territories and uh, meets a, for no reason in particular, super crazy, like commanding officer. I'm not sure what. I guess that was just in the book, but I don't. Like he meets this guy and he's just like he's like eating and he's all like weird and. He's just being bizarre and like calling him Sir Knight and stuff and like sends it, scribbles this thing, sends him out. Like as he's leaving, he like stands up and he goes, Sir, Sir Knight, I've pissed my pants and there's nothing anyone can do about it. And I'm just like, what the fuck is <laughs> he, going on? He really loves that he's out in the frontier. Yeah. And, well, yeah, he seems to hate it because he shoots himself in the head directly after that as he's leaving. Oh, never mind. And uh, no idea why that was in the movie. That's like the only real like non sequitur that's like, okay. Why? <laughs> I guess maybe just to explain why he was sending him out to uh, to this little shithole outpost where there's nobody there and he spends what seems like a year or so by himself. Maybe in the director's cut, there's a scene where Kevin Costner pisses his own pants. Yeah. And, and that's why. But, <laughs> but uh, so basically he goes out to this little shithole thing um, out at the very edge of the frontier and he starts, uh, he has some encounters with the local, the local natives, the Lakota Sioux. And they uh, basically slowly builds a rapport with him. They start trading a little bit. He goes out on a buffalo hunt with him and ends up, you know, marrying, you know, kind of basically becoming part of the tribe and marrying, marrying uh, this lady that was there. Um, like an avatar. Yeah. It, yes, exactly like an avatar. <laughs> I don't know why Kevin Costner is copying James Cameron like this. <laughs> But, you know, he, but they're, they're about to like leave and he's like, oh, fuck, I forgot my journal at the place. If anyone finds that, they'll like be able to track us down. And so he goes and he runs and, and when he gets back there, there's a bunch of troops, but he's in the full getup and he comes back and they, you know, basically take him prisoner and say, you know, he's a, he's a traitor and they're going to hang him. And, um, his, uh, his Sioux friends come and rescue him in, in some pretty cool fight scenes. And they take him up. He goes to the place and he's like, guys, I got to leave these, they're going to hunt me and it's going to fuck your lives up and I got to go. And they part ways, and the movie is over. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Man. There must be a lot more. That, I mean, there must be a lot of scenes of, like, the the him learning about the tribe and becoming a part of them. That is two and a half hours of the movie. Like, it's bookended on either side with, like, 15, 20 minutes of beginning and end. And the whole middle is him getting to know them and uh, and basically building trust and building all the characters and... Uh, and it's it's good. It's good character film. There's there's a lot of long sweeping shots of the prairie and like people like walking on the horizon and doing shit like that. Yeah, uh, which is it's beautiful. Looks great. Cinematography is yeah, wonderful. It's not CGI. Yeah, and uh, for all your moms, it's got a lot of Kevin Costner's butt. Really, and it is definitely his butt. I was gonna ask that. Yeah, because because he did use a stunt butt in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, this is not. Uh, it's it's definitely not a stunt butt because it's like he's standing there fully nude 
head to toe. You can see him. He turns around. You can see his face. The yeah. whole nine. Like Before it is, CGI. Yeah. It is, this is definitely Costner butt. No deep fake. And, uh, I mean, I'm not an expert on what makes a great man's butt, but it, it, it looked nicer than my butt. <laughs> Prove it. You can put that in the poll too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's just, it's a, it's a sprawling epic. It's like a Western. It is a Western definitely, but it's not a Western. It's not like, it doesn't fit all the same Western tropes. It's not a spaghetti Western. Yeah. Like it, you don't, your hero's not, you know, some grizzled, you know, uh, cowboy riding the prairie. Uh, the Indians aren't the bad guys. The, um, you know, it doesn't have a showdown at any point in it. There's no, there's no saloon. You know, this is, this is out on the frontier. And, uh, and it has, I think what's probably the first, like, really nuanced depiction of Native Americans, where they, they you know, where it treats them as like, full human beings. And uh, they actually tried really, really hard on this movie to make it historically accurate. Mm-hmm. And to properly like represent their culture and yeah. Yeah. Like they, they brought in stereotypes like all of the, the language that, you know, all of the native language they speak in it is actual um, Lakota Sioux. Like they brought in uh they brought in a lady called Doris leader charge. She's actually in the movie. She's like the chief's wife. Mm-hmm. And she like translated everything and coached everybody on how to talk. And, uh, and so they're all speaking fairly authentic language for the tribe. And like the costumes were made of real buffalo leather and like everything was as, as authentic as they could possibly make it. And I guess the Sioux Nation afterwards actually uh, made Kevin Costner an honorary member of the tribe because of, uh, of his nice and accurate portrayal of them. That's pretty fucking rad. Yeah. So they, like it, it's, they tried really hard to make it historically accurate for the time and, uh, and, and just to look fucking great. It's got this, I think my favorite scene in the movie is the Buffalo hunt scene. I don't know if you remember that one at all. No, but they go out and they hunt some Buffalo and it is fucking epic. They, they got 3,500 Buffalo, real Buffalo. That's, that's a lot of Buffalo. Yeah. And spent eight days doing five stampedes. Cause I guess like once you get Buffalo running, they don't stop. So they'll run up to like 10 miles. And so they would just chase alongside these Buffalo as they were stampeding, shooting shots. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess at one point Costner fell off his horse in the middle of the stampede and they were like, Oh fuck. But he got back out and just got on another horse. Cause he did all of his own riding stunts too. Oh, cool. One. Riding, you know, on a horse, fuck, shooting a gun, you know, so no hands on a horse. And uh, the the buffalo, they, they, so they had a bunch of, you know, actual, or they had a bunch of um, Native Americans riding bareback on horses, you know, f- shooting fake arrows at mm-hmm. buffalo. And like, they, they've got scenes like where they're, ta- you know, where they're shots where they're taking buffalo down. And I guess they made like big, they made a $250,000 animatronic buffalo covered in buffalo skin for the for the for the scenes where it falls you know where they're killing buffalo yeah yeah where it topples with an arrow in it yeah because kevin costner did not want any of the buffalo hurt and it looks legit like when i was watching it, i was like so did they just kill real buffalo for this because they got a lot of them they could drop a few of them right yeah process them for meat but no they didn't they made fake fake buffalo for that damn and uh, i guess there's a scene where they've come across a bunch of skinned buffalo and they made a bunch of you know prop skinned buffalo models and someone saw them like was driving by and called the cops and the cops showed up with like guns drawn because they thought they were poachers (laughs) (laughs) they're like no they're fake dude it's cool 
Uh, and I guess the final Buffalo fact in this uh, Buffalo movie that I'm mm-hmm. talking about is uh, one of the, the they had a, they had two trained Buffaloes, one of which was um, owned by Neil Young. Oh, okay. His name I don't remember. Was, uh, Neil something. Young seems like somebody who would own a Buffalo. Wait, he was in Buffalo Springfield. Yeah, well, how could he not own a Buffalo? He probably <laughs> owns a Springfield rifle, too. <laughs> um, and uh, But the other one named Cody was the one that they used for, like, charging scenes when it was charging at people. And uh, they used a, a handful of Oreos to lure it because the buffalo really, really loved Oreo cookies. Awesome. You you have a kindred <laughs> spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen this movie since I was a little kid. Like, my dad loved it. My dad loves the Civil War and historical pieces. And for me, I I didn't I didn't like double tapes. That just seems like a long movie. So I haven't seen it since then, but I mean... I know our friend Zach loves it. Like we've had parties at his house when we were in our twenties where he would like just go into his room and be watching dances with wolves while everybody is partying outside. It was nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It it is. It is a beautiful looking movie. It's, uh, the face acting and it is fucking great because for a lot of the movie, they don't understand each other. Yeah. You know, so you've got subtitles, so you know what they're saying, but they don't understand each other. And so, just like the looks that they give each other when like Kevin Costner's doing something weird and that they don't understand is fucking hilarious. It's just, it's the interaction is, it, it looks so genuine. Uh, it, it's really good. That's probably why Kevin Costner is so good in this movie because, like we touched on earlier, his line reads in most of the movies are not great. Like his accent in Robin Hood Prince of Thieves yeah. was awful. Oof. And, uh, you know, even, even in Waterworld, like sometimes he's got an accent. I don't know what it is, but sometimes he Fish does. man. Yeah. He's not always the greatest, but, but boy, did he sure make, make it big. Like he, he did well for himself. Yeah. And uh, like in this, like his physical acting is on point. And there's a lot of that because there's a, a you know, big swaths of the movie where there's not a lot of talking because he's either by himself or, you know, they're, they're, they're inter- language stuff so they're not really doing a lot of talking it's a lot of miming and and stuff it's almost like charades yeah and uh in this movie the uh the white guys are definitely the bad guys like you don't really encounter them until like the last 40 minutes of the movie but they are total pricks oh yeah oh yeah well we were kind of total pricks i would imagine so So, like i think it's a pretty fair portrayal of uh, us being assholes (laughs) 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 it is a great flick um a, a couple other points of trivia that I came across. Uh, Graham Greene, the guy that plays Kicking Bird, I guess he was supposed to play like a like an older guy, an older older than he was with like bad posture. I don't know why that would have mattered to the movie, but apparently that's how it was written. So like he had to have like bad posture and an odd gait. So uh, he put Maloney in his shoes. Time tested yeah. uh, Hollywood trick. Yep, he threw some Baloney bolo- shoes. Baloney in his shoes, and he'd walk around, and he said it felt. It felt squishy and weird, so he walked funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, something I've never tried. Maybe I should give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, baloney insoles. <laughs> and this was another one that the studios thought would be a total failure. And they were like, no, this is not, this isn't going to work. This is going to be a big flop. No one wants to sit in the theater for this long. No one wants to read this many subtitles. Yeah. 
Uh, no one cares that all this stuff is accurate that you're doing. No, you know, no one's going to like this movie. It's going to it's going to be a big money loser. And that's why they'd only put up 15 million and he had to put up the other seven. He had to put up almost a third of the money himself. Uh, but they were wrong. People love this movie. It did incredibly well. Yeah, it looks like Costner did get the win for best picture and best director. I oh. didn't realize he directed it as well. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. This was his this was a passion project of his. It's probably what allowed him to make Waterworld. It was that this one was actually a success. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, should I go watch it? Is it worth four hours of my life? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the theatrical cut's only three. Okay. Which isn't too bad. That's not, uh, you know, that's Lord of the Rings or, an event, or, you know, big Marvel movie. There's a reason why I haven't gone back and watched any of the Lord of the Rings movies since the theaters. No, I mean, it was good enough. It kept, uh, my daughter walked out of it immediately, but that's what she does. Yeah. But uh, my son sat there and watched two and a half hours of it with me. Right before it got exciting. Yeah. My wife came home uh, with some stuff and he hopped up and went over and, and kind of lost interest at that point and, and missed like the whole white guys being evil part at the end. Like he left like when it would have been just a nice happy ending. Oh. But it uh, it probably felt like it was ending to him. <laughs> it was funny long for a movie. Yeah. But uh, I just thought of something else. What was it? How would I know? Okay. I bet it was gonna gonna seal this uh, seal your win. Oh, that's in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there we have it. We have cases presented. Um, yes, all the folks can go uh, go vote. Go vote again. Facebook and Twitter. It is a uh, '90s court, and Instagram is '90s dot court. Do your parents proud? Vote Waterworld. That's not what they want, and you know it. <laughs> Seven Oscars can't be wrong. <laughs> oh, now you're going to trust the, the fucking critics and the Oscar pickers. <laughs> Gross. No, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think uh, is, if we're talking cinematography and whatnot, we, we, we know what the score is. But man, I, I still think that regardless of the reception, like I don't think Waterworld earned its, its poor reputation. No, I think it's a better movie than it gets credit for, for sure. Yeah. It it has, I mean, the action in it's solid. Yeah. I, th that's what I was going to say. The action in Dances with Wolves, when it has it, there's a lot of it with no action. But when it does have the battle scenes, they're fucking awesome. They're yeah. gnarly. You know, the natives full gallop, they have them jumping off horses into a full run and then just like running and like tackling people. There's like a dude that like rams his horse into another guy and tackles him off the horse onto the ground and then just starts like pummeling him in the water and shit. That's pretty rad. <laughs> yeah. The fight scenes in it are... Like brutal and awesome. Like they're not gory. You know, like they don't show anything. Like if, if someone's like whacking someone on the ground, like you s don't see what they're whacking. You just hear. Yeah. But it is, uh, the, the action scenes in it are top notch, even though they are very few and far between. <laughs> Whereas Waterworld, there's a ton of them. There's a lot of action and they are also pretty top notch. So Kevin Costner doesn't cut corners. No, fuck no, he doesn't. When he's, he's invested. He is serious about his craft. Yeah. He stopped giving a shit by the time Man of Steel rolled around. And he was like, oh yeah, just go ahead and uh, kill me off by letting uh, letting Superman uh, watch me die. Sorry, we're, that, that's the wrong show. <laughs> uh, speaking of the wrong show, um, you can hear somebody else on Secret Santa uh, doing our show, Geek Exploration, the podcast, where um, we, uh, on a weekly basis, 
we uh, we give you geek news, and we also pick a topic and talk about it for a while, whether it's Weird Al or time travel or jetpacks or Ninja Turtles, anything from the general geekosphere. Yeah, yeah, and you can come check us out on our spot. Uh, if you want to try and find where we hid 90s Court, the other podcasts that you could go out and listen to during this wonderful podcast Secret Santa event would be us. They could have gotten our show. Who knows? Oh, yeah, it's true. The Movie Seller. Grand Rapidians play video games, uh, not suitable for adults. Suck my fanfic, Drinkopedia, featured creatures on Second Watch, or the Black Case Diaries. Could be any one of those shows. So you're just gonna have to listen to all of them. Uh, go check out Podcast Secret Santa. It's a really cool event that Ben cooked up uh, with a bunch of our podcast friends to uh, to just do a switcheroo and have some fun. And I, I think it's gonna be something real special. You, um, if you're if you're returning listeners, you heard the. Um, commercial for it in uh in the last episode and that was the first time i'd heard it all fully produced and finished and everything and i i was stoked to hear it and and i've known about this event for a while now yeah and all these podcasts are super great so like if you're hunting around to try and find 90s court and you hear some of their other ones like worst case scenario you hear another awesome podcast doing their best impression of another awesome podcast it's like you know you get a chance to discover two podcasts in one yeah. And to the regular listeners here that uh, if, if you think we didn't do an awesome job on this podcast, sorry. Yeah. At us at Geeksplore Pod on Twitter. <laughs> Tell us how shitty of a job we did. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Stay red. Stay red.